Hello Rebels, you're listening to a free audio-only recording of my weekly Wednesday night show, The Gun Show. Tonight is an exciting show because I get to introduce you to a new team member, someone who I will be working very closely with. It's Adam Sos, and he's our newest rebel reporter. He's based in Calgary, very thoughtful about issues of conservatism and what he sees happening during the pandemic. And he's got this really great story about how he came to be a conservative. And it's literally the exact opposite of how it normally goes. So I guess in that, there's hope. Now, if you like listening to the show, then I promise you're going to love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long form TV style shows here on Rebel News. Subscribers get access to my show, which obviously I think is worth the price of admission, but also Ezra's nightly Ezra Levant show, David Menzies' fun Friday night show, Rebel Roundup, and Andrew Chapados' brand new show, Andrew Says. It's only eight bucks a month for all of that. And just for our podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new Rebel News Plus membership by using the coupon code podcast when you subscribe. Just go to Rebel News Plus com to become a member and now please enjoy this free audio only version of my show meet the newest rebel on the team i'm sheila gunn reed and you're watching the gun show Adam Skelly of Adams and Barbecues hard at work because we've got a massive lineup outside so we're not going to take too much of his time very important question I have to ask you first of all and then we'll get into the other stuff but who has better barbecue Ontario or Alberta hey everybody thanks for tuning in uh, I am momentarily back in my home studio but not for long because I do have to run out and cover yet another Fight the Fines case. Now, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know how you couldn't, Fight the Fines is Rebel News' largest civil liberties project to date, where we help people fight their lockdown tickets in court at no cost to them by putting them in touch with top criminal lawyers. And we fund it all through crowdfunding and through the Democracy Fund, a registered Canadian charity. So donations to fightthefines.com qualify for a charitable tax credit. Isn't that great? Anyway, I thought that since we have a new Rebel team member, you at home should probably get to know a little bit more about him. And since I have this platform of a full-length show, I thought let's have a little sit down, get to know each other, let you get to know him, interview with our new Calgary reporter, Adam Sos. Now, I have known Adam for a few years. I think we travel in the same circles. I've run into him at the March for Life. I've run into him at anti-Trudeau protests. Um, and we have met each other at Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms events. So I think Adam's 
right on brand. I'm happy to have the help. Sounds like Adam is going to hit the ground running and he really cares deeply about the things that matter to you and to me, like civil liberties during the time of the pandemic and holding the government accountable. So please enjoy this interview I recorded with my friend and newest colleague, Adam Sos, yesterday afternoon. is my newest rebel colleague Adam Sos he's based in Calgary and he'll be working on I guess in general just fighting for freedom fighting for the little guy um, and telling the stories of small businesses who are under attack really paying the highest price I would say normal people in small businesses and churches during the pandemic Adam thanks so much for joining me hey my pleasure to be here Adam I, I think you might be a new face to some of our regular viewers, although you've been around the conservative activism circles for quite some time, and that's where I initially first met you. Why don't you give us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I've got a pretty wide range of background. It's funny, whenever someone asks, oh, what are you doing these days? It's kind of a <laughs> full mouth answer. Um, so I, I did do for a while there, I did some uh, political videos in the past. I've worked on some campaigns. Um, I've also been rather involved in uh, some church work. So I've got a pretty wide array of uh, sort of activism. I've run into you at a few events. I think we uh, we did a Trudeau town hall we attended and we weren't allowed in and the police visited us rather quickly. Um, and then I think I acted uh, as an official security guard for you at a March for Life or two. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I've certainly been around this scene for quite a while involved in uh, a number of a number of relevant topics, certainly. Now, um, I guess, how did you get into conservatism? Have you always been a conservative? I feel like I've always been a conservative. So when people ask me like why I am one, it's just like, why are you Catholic? It's just what I am. Um, are you sort of that same journey or did you have like a moment where you decided you're a conservative? No. Yeah, no. So I, I, uh, I was definitely on sort of a, a different trajectory. I already had, I always had like a relatively sound sort of moral compass, but um, I, my trajectory was, uh, was I grew up like uh, in a in a household that was definitely not conservative. It wasn't overtly liberal. It wasn't particularly political, but uh, definitely not conservative. Um, so it was sort of a, a coming of age for myself. I was always something of a rebel, something of a contrarian. Um, believe it or not, at one point I had a giant mohawk and rocked the leopard print pants and went down that whole journey, um, which some people may find hard to believe, but it's true. I do. Um, I find that yeah. very hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll show you pictures. Uh, yeah. Um, so, but I mean, always, it was, there's always that spirit of rebellion and the spirit of sort of resistance like there, there's something not quite right or so, something's afoot so I was always kind of challenging and questioning uh never quite getting into trouble but always sort of on the cusp of trouble figuring out what's kind of going on in society um and then sort of entering university I had an amazing professor he was actually a uh, he was a priest but he was teaching me political science he had a doctorate in that but uh, he grew up in communist Poland so he had a first-hand experience of some of what was going on under communism and I'm like Maybe some of these presumptions that I have, um, though not fully engaged, it's not like I was really sort of diving into it. But once I started thinking about it, asking questions and starting to wonder, I was like, you know what, maybe 
maybe the government doesn't need to be so involved in everyone's life. And that kind of sent me down a trajectory. I had some great professors. I got to read some great literature. And uh, yeah, I, I trended away from that authoritarianism um, and more towards individual freedoms, individual accountability and responsibility. That blows my mind. You are like the rare person that went to university and came out a conservative instead of going to university as a yeah. conservative and coming in a liberal. That's fascinating yeah. to me. It's a, well, and I mean, it's funny. I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, what university, especially humanities, because I, I have a major in English minor in political science, what that is supposed to do is enable you to think critically. Um, unfortunately, what universities have become is these sort of homogenous thought creators. So um, I think I took more from it than what they were sort of directing me towards. So yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting observation for sure. Now that you've brought it up, um, it wasn't on my list of things to ask you about, but since you have this weird uh, life journey that, that sort of formed you in university, What's going on with universities right now uh, with, as you say, the, these homogenous thought factories? Mm -hmm. uh, why is that happening? And I guess as people uh, outside of university, but I suppose I have kids approaching university. Ugh, um, how do we how do we change that as conservatives? How do we sort of level? I, I guess my question is, how do we level the playing field? Because we don't want universities to be places where they crank out conservatives we want universities to be places where they teach you how to think and mm -hmm. i think that the people will naturally come to conservatism because it's the better idea but yeah. how do we teach them to think yeah so i mean i think it starts in the home like parents are the primary educators um and i think that we need to start having conversations in the home. Uh, this idea that we don't talk about these certain set topics, politics or religion or um, in the household, I think is the fundamental issue because basically people aren't being exposed to these ideas until they get to university. So when, when you're in university, you're supposed to be like an adult and have your formed conscience and you're supposed to start wrestling with ideas. What we have is sort of delayed adolescence. These people are entering university and they're they're not at a point where they're mentally mature enough to argue or engage with ideas. So the first time they read Nietzsche, they're like, oh, well, this is it. I'm like, no, this is one of the many ideas out there that you can sort of dive into. Um, so I think I think parents forming them to be resilient and to be able to wrestle and struggle with different ideas is the crux of it. I never thought of it that way. I always thought of it as, you know, university professors are just brainwashing our kids and only exposing them to one idea. But I guess, as you say, much of the responsibility falls on parents who are delaying adolescence, bubble wrapping their kids, preventing them from thinking about uncomfortable ideas. Yeah. And I think if kids kids have that life experience, they're going to go into the university like rapidly. I think probably within the first year or two, um, the first year I was just kind of there absorbing things. Um, and I, I think probably along the lines of like Lindsay Shepard's story where she wasn't necessarily trying to cause a ruckus. She was just engaging with ideas in a reasonable fashion um, and, and everyone kind of turned on her. Um, very, my best university professors that I had were like thrilled. And I went to a relatively small university, but I had some world-class professors. If you like argued with them in class or challenged them, they loved it. My more sort of liberally inclined professors, if you were to challenge them or ask questions and not just inhale everything they were sort of dishing out there, they, they were like upset or they didn't like you. So I think that that, that capacity, um, and I mean, I, probably we're going to talk about some other things in government today, but one of the biggest issues, there's so much talk in society about discourse 
and like interacting with ideas and stuff. But we say that, but then the actuality is if you don't go with the sort of uh, marched line that's set out for everybody, you're cancel culture. Uh, you know, as you're writing that down, I was I was thinking, or as you were saying that, I was writing down um, something because a recent government announcement sort of ties this all together. We talk about civil discourse, but we don't really mean civil discourse. We mean talking politely all about the same thing and thinking the exact same thing about it. Yeah. And I think that, that could not be more evidenced in uh, the new coming censorship bureaucracy that's being created by the liberals. We're being promised that there will be internet censorship in two weeks or so. And they're saying it's, you know, on the basis of safety, we need to protect you, I guess, from certain ideas. And I think going back to your comments about university, this is just only going to make things worse and worse and worse for society. It, it actually polarizes everybody because we have the people who want to talk about things versus the people who don't want to hear any other side of the conversation. It's not even conservatives versus liberals anymore. It's the people who think that we should talk about things and people who think we should only think one way about certain ideas. Yeah. No, yeah, I certainly agree. Um, now, Coming to Rebel, I mean, that's a, it's a choice. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, uh, I, I'm excited. It's a fun job, I think, because as Rebels, we get to advocate for things that we care about, not just talk about things. But when I come upon someone who's on their very worst day, they got a ticket, their business is being closed by the government, I feel like I'm there to tell their story and humanize what these big government decisions are doing to little people. But I'm also grateful that I have the opportunity to offer them some help. And so I guess I wanted to ask you, first of all, why you wanted to be a rebel? And secondarily, what are some of the things that you really want to focus on? Because I think unlike people in the mainstream media, I think we have a lot of freedom. Um, and you'll find that out so far um, to, to, Talk about the things that matter to you and maybe the things, frankly, that nobody else is talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think as far as the choice um, to join Rebel, I think there was more of a civic responsibility, to be honest. Um, I think that there's, like we were talking about before, there's a lack of genuine dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of people out there who might blast Rebel news in a tweet who've never watched Rebel um, or who haven't talked to you or I or Ezra or many of the other wonderful people involved in Rebel. Um, we're human beings and we're sharing ideas, much like many other media outlets might be doing. And it's good, whether I like or disagree with a media outlet, it's important for me to check out those different perspectives and, and learn from them. So I think, I think that Rebel is an essential voice, um, whether you agree with it or not. Um, but as far as my experience and my sort of decision to come over to Rebel. Like I said, I think it was something that just had to be done when I was first talking to Ezra. Um, obviously, lots of people are, are in difficult times right now. Generally, I've been involved in like politics or church work or something where there's been like a real struggle. And I was scared. I was almost gonna have to get a job where I wouldn't get to fight for something. Um, so I'm, I'm extremely happy to be somewhere where I can be standing up um, and, and sort of making a difference um, for people. And like you said, there's small businesses out there. Like these, these people aren't political animals. They're not trying to make a point. They have kids in school and they have medical bills or they have uh, car payments that they have to make. And these 
little government subsidies to try and help them pay their rent. It doesn't cover the rest of their costs. Um, these are people who are just trying to get by. And after 13 months of regulations that are inconsistent and perpetually changing, um, they're just trying to pay their bills. They're just trying to take care of their families. So I think I think going to bat for those people is incredibly important. Um, I think also just generally standing up for freedoms. We've seen a trend in society of freedoms just evaporating. Um, and uh, C.S. Lewis, I'm going to paraphrase, but said something to the effect that uh, um, like the, the do-gooders who are ruling with tyranny for your good um, are the most damaging because they, they don't think that they're doing something wrong. They think that they're helping everybody. So providing that contradiction to those sort of tyrannical do-gooders out there is, I think, an essential position. So for you, what are some of the issues that you see growing out of the pandemic? Because for me, it, this thing has been the largest civil liberties infringement in my lifetime. And it mm -hmm. is being sold to us, as you rightly point out, as help, as kindness, as virtue. Stay home, watch Netflix, get diabetes and heart disease through your lethargic lifestyle and sedentary nature, because that's being a good neighbor. Um, what, like, what do you think um, are some of the worst things that are growing out of the pandemic? What are you seeing? So, yeah, I think there, there's like a polarization in society where everyone like thinks they're the good guy. So stay at home, lock down, shut everything down. That's the only way to be the good guy. Yeah. Um, when you have conversations with people who have that perspective, and often analogies are the best way to get a point across. So I'll say someone's invested their life savings. They're responsible for the whole family. They're taking care of their business. Um, they've done all of those things. Um, and now the government is shutting down their business and they may lose their business. This isn't just being fired from some job you have. This is their entire livelihoods sunk into this. And they're weighing, losing all of that, not being able to provide for their family, everything going out the window versus uh, one of the statistics, like the average age of death is 81 with COVID. Mm -hmm. um, the, the survival rate is, is uh, extremely high. So if you're talking about losing everything you've worked for versus this minor risk from a disease, um, the, the logical sort of perspective on that is quite different. Um, but beyond the polarization, I think one of the most concerning things is this like Orwellian government speak, where mm. what they're saying changes every two weeks, every 24 hours sometimes. Um, this doesn't cause blood clots, this does cause blood clots. Um, and you can say what the medical research is saying, and you're called a conspiracy theorist. Um, and then the next day, the government's saying it, and it's like, we're at war with Eurasia, and uh, we're jumping back and forth. Like, they're completely changing what they say from day to day, but they act as though, no, no, that's what we've always said. Um, and no, like, like what we said yesterday is not what we've said today. Um, and it, they're not being honest or transparent. Um, it's like this, they're saying it dogmatically, and the next day, they're saying something contradictory in a dogmatic fashion. Um, so I, th I think... The, the level of government accountability has been on the decline recently. Um, these aren't the days anymore where a prime minister is railroaded for an $80,000 spending scandal. Um, we're talking about billions of dollars, lost infrastructure projects, an absolute disaster. The, the political spectrum has just shifted to such a dramatic degree that something needs to be done about it. Yeah, I, as you were saying that, I was thinking about uh, how it was racist to close the border and then it wasn't racist to close the border literally within the same week when the liberals did it. And we're all just supposed to be hard of remembering.
and and not remember five days earlier when they called mm -hmm. us racist for saying, well, maybe we shouldn't be taking a bunch of flights from the viral hot zone. Now, um, I think for me, one of the most disappointing things in the pandemic, if that were even possible, because the whole thing is just a disaster. But the people who are supposed to stand up for our rights are really not. I think the greatest disappointments in all of this have been the conservative governments, who I don't think would have acted any differently than a liberal government. And when you look at Jason Kenney in Alberta, he started off strong during the pandemic, a more hands-off approach to civil liberties. And then these days, if you want to see what Jason Kenney's going to do a week from now, pay attention to Rachel Notley last week. And, yeah. and here we are. And I think one of the greatest... Um, examples of this is the Grace Life Church. Rachel Notley was literally tweeting, lock down the church. And then a week later, Alberta Health Services under Jason Kenney rolls in with the RCMP, private security and fencing contractors, and locks up the church. What's going on with these conservative governments? You've been a conservative activist for a long time. You know a lot of these people personally. Yeah. What is directing them right now? So... I mean, I think on a fundamental level, um, Jason Kenney, unfortunately, Jason Kenney, I know him, um, he's still very much rooted in Eastern Canada. Um, so Ontario, well, Ontario may have a conservative Ford government. Um, it's not a conservative government. And as, as Ford so proudly proclaimed, they have the strongest lockdown measures anywhere. Um, <laughs> I, I was actually at a meeting and uh, the education minister in Alberta was there and a number of other people. And this was like the first week of, of all this sort of happening. And uh, it came out through a text that Ontario was going to be closing their schools. Um, so we got this. We're all sitting in this meeting, supposed to be talking about something else. And then these texts come through that the Ontario schools are closing. And I won't, I won't quote it because you'll have to beep it out. But uh, the response from the education minister was, it wasn't, well, what are we going to do for Albertans? It was like, we're, we're automatically going to have to follow suit because we can't think for ourselves. This mentality that, that Alberta is just the little brother to Ontario and we have to follow suit is ridiculous. Um, Jason Kenney needs to start making decisions for himself and for the people who voted for him. Um, I, think, I think the temperament of conservatism, it's part of the reason they lost the election. It's part of the reason that there's been weak leadership um, is they don't want to lose anything they're not fighting to win anything they're not doing their best to be the best for canadians um, same thing with covid they're not they're not trying to fight it in the most effective mechanism possible or following the scientific evidence they're avoiding a loss they don't want to get sued they don't want to be accountable so they're going to do the most and they're going to follow they're going to follow big brother ontario rather than making decisions based on the evidence yeah I guess that's the difference between the official conservative types, like the conservative leadership, conservative party, people who work within the party mechanism, and actual conservatives is um, the official conservatives, as you say, they don't want to lose anything. They they don't want to be controversial, um, even if that's exactly the thing that's supported by their base. And because of that, we see constant fracturings in the conservative movement. And I feel as though... We could be on our way towards one here in Alberta where we see a, a fracture of, you know, rural versus urban conservatives, the anti-lockdown conservative caucus, um, the ones who signed the letter here in Alberta versus, you know, the people who want to hang on to power in Calgary and some of suburban um, 
Edmonton. It's one of the best things about conservatives, but it's one of the worst things about conservatives. If you want to get them into power is yeah. uh, principles. <laughs> well, exactly. And I've said this to numerous friends and most of them after a while are kind of like, yeah, you know, maybe I was actually, I was at a, a local small business in Calgary. Um, and it's like a sauna steam kind of place. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy in there and I guess he was like a super active NDP guy. Um, and we were, we were talking about the sort of, uh, the differences between liberals or conservatives. Wait, and you I, were I've talking never... to someone on the other side of the spectrum. I was. Weird. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. It's scary. Um, and one of the things that he said is like probably true um, is that conservatives, if our, like you said, the principles, if, if our politicians aren't adhering to the principles, we don't reinforce them just because they're our guy. Yeah. We don't do that. We'll take them down and find someone else who's, who's principled or who at least for the time being until they're elected and becomes compromised. <laughs> right. Um, we do that time and time again. Uh, conversely, you, you look at the federal polls right now, the, the liberals are gaining, like e whether you're pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine, like Justin Trudeau has been the worst at getting vaccines. And you look at the price Canadians are paying, like we're paying the most, I think, out of any country. Um, some countries are paying 250, 255 per mm -hmm. vaccine. Um, I think um, the United States is paying about $5 a vaccine. Canada's paying $9 a vaccine and we can't even get them. Like the entire world is going to get their vaccines in Canada. So even if you're on the side of the liberals, Justin Trudeau has categorically failed at something that that most liberals are probably inclined towards, which is very much let's get vaccinated right now. Um, he can screw up over and over and over and have scandal and scandal and scandal that dwarf anything, frankly, the conservatives have mm -hmm. done, barring maybe these lockdown measures, which are extreme. But he just gains in the polls because he's their guy. And I think that's extremely concerning. So yeah, it is It is sort of the, the saving grace of the conservative movement that we are principled, but very often in practical day-to-day -day terms, it ends up costing elections. I think so. Yeah, that, that blind loyalty to a leader, we just don't do it and it leads to electoral losses, but at least you can sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, um, we're, I think, heading into federal election readiness. Uh, looks that way with the Liberals. They've finally released a budget. All kinds of horrible things shoehorned into that. I don't want to get into the fine details of the budget, but I do want to get into um, the conservative strategy, it would seem, of being basically Liberals in blue ties. Aaron O'Toole just released his carbon tax platform that they want me to believe isn't a carbon tax or say it's a levy. But I remember these exact same conservatives saying, Rachel Notley, that's a carbon tax. Quit saying it's a levy because it does practically the same thing in mm -hmm. practice. Um, wh what do you think is going to happen in the next uh, 12 months in federal politics? Are we headed into an election? And and I guess what becomes of Aaron O'Toole? There's not enough time to switch the leader, is there? Even though he's no. plummeting in the polls. Yeah. And I mean, I know there are a number of I, I think that there is sometimes consideration and important space for like pragmatic decision making. Sure. Um, you, you have to stick to your principles, but sometimes it's like, OK, there might be an election within a year. There can't be a new leader. Do we want Justin Trudeau um, or do we want Aaron O'Toole? Right. So that I think at a certain point that that becomes a conversation you have to have within your within sort of yourself. And the reality of the situation is, like I said before, the conservatives are just trying not to lose, um, despite Jason Kenney and, and uh, Mr. Ford in uh, Ontario um, completely collapsing, despite having power. Um, 
my hope would be that possibly federally, if they were to be elected, they, they might trend away from some of the stuff. I think the biggest problem though is that Aaron O'Toole, one of his big things originally, part of the reasons that uh, he wasn't maybe necessarily my first choice, but um, he was like, uh, cancel or defund the CBC and uh, no carbon tax. We're going to nuke that right away. Those were the two things that most conservatives were like, you know what, this, as long as he sticks to those. Those guns, are big okay. blue tent issues. Doesn't matter yeah, what kind yeah. of conservative you are. You're no, like, yep, no. I'm, I'm fine with that. So he's back to, he's backed away from both those things. And he, he, he might win the election if he just came back and said, actually, no, we're completely scrapping this. My biggest honest concern with the carbon tax, the, or the carbon levy or whatever the conservatives want to call whatever. it, um, is it's, it's like a, some parts of it are worse. Some parts of it are significantly better than what the liberals are doing. Um, but the thing that really, really like gets to me in it is there's a lot of like eat the rich language in there, which is like, so, so contradictory to, leveled society, uh, market success, like all of these things that we're supposed to be advocating for as a society. There's just language in there that sounds like the Communist Party or sounds like the NDP. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know what they were thinking putting that in there. Um, they, they, I've, I've looked at some of the polls and they're suggesting that they're willing to throw away like maybe 8% of their sort of voting base with the hope of pulling 20% from the middle um, is what they're kind of saying. So they're like, well, we can lose some of the people who've been supporting us for all these years. It doesn't really matter as long as we pull a few of these people over. Um, the polls may reveal that, but we've seen how effective polls have been in recent years with numerous elections. They don't yep. really tell the full story. Um, I think we have to return to an era of at least some semblance of, of principled politics so that we know what we're dealing with. I liked uh, Ezra the other day was saying that he'll take like an honest liberal over a crooked uh, conservative. And I think that's a, that's a good mentality. You vote for someone, you want to have at least some loose concept that they're not just gonna ebb and flow with whatever CBC puts out in their latest article. Um, we need politicians who aren't completely afraid of everything out there and who are actually standing up for something. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould is a great example of that, an honest yeah. liberal over a crooked conservative. Adam, um, I guess in closing, what is in the pipe for you? What are you working on right now? Uh, working a lot. So I mean, one of the things that I definitely want to do a big plug for, and I think it's really important, is, is fight the fines. Um, so Rebel has taken it upon itself to to go out and these businesses and these people who have been ticketed unfairly, um, some for absolutely ridiculous things. Like one lady was ice fishing in the middle of nowhere and she wasn't wearing a mask and they gave her a ticket. Like this stuff is absolutely laughable. Um, so I'm going to be covering lots of stories. I want to be an advocate for businesses and go out there and touch base with these businesses who have been really struggling. Um, but there's like, like Ezra rebel, they've taken it upon themselves to provide lawyers for so many people. And it's absolutely incredible. Um, and it's actually done through fight the fines.com. The funds go to a charitable organization. So you're actually getting a tax receipt. And instead of the money going to the government or going wherever, you're going to get some of that tax money back. And you're helping people fight these outrageous fines. Um, this is probably one of the biggest sort of civil li civil liberty initiatives in Canada right now, honestly, the, the, the level and the amount of you know, people we're defending. And it's not just that it's individual people. Um, it, it's not just like we're fighting the ticket. Each of those tickets represents a family and a story. Um, and that's really kind of my hope for Rebel, what I'm going to be doing over the the coming years, hopefully, is standing up for small businesses, standing up for freedom, standing up for individuals um, against an ever-growing tyrannical government. I want to go to bat for the little guys. You know, that's one of the things I'm most proud of over the last year here at Rebel News is we've we've really, just through our civil liberties work, be, 
become advocates for normal people, people who just want to retain some normalcy during the pandemic, keep their business afloat, go to the park, go ice fishing, things that you should not be getting tickets for. We're helping every single one of those people who reach out to us. So far, we are approaching a thousand people in the Fight the Fines pipeline. And some of those people uh, have multiple tickets. I like some of these protest organizers, I get a text message, Sheila got another ticket. Sheila, I got another <laughs> ticket. You know what to do with it. I mean, so there's so much work. And I think, though, that we are fighting for civil liberties by fighting alongside one Canadian at a time. So I'm really proud of the work that we're doing. I'm proud that you are willing to take on some of it. And I'm confident that you are going to be a good advocate for all of those people. Adam, thanks so much for joining me. Um, thanks for giving me a half an hour of your time this morning. And uh, get out there and go fight for freedom. Will do. Thanks, Sheila. Thanks. Sounds like Adam is hitting the ground running, and that's good news because here at Rebel News, we have never been busier, unlike our peers in the mainstream media who are reducing local news coverage. We think there's more news than ever, and you just have to get out there and get it, and sounds like Adam's going to do that for us, and he's going to be helping people along the way, which is exactly what we mean to do here at Rebel News. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week or not. Who even knows? But remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.